Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. We'll turn in your Bibles to Psalm 1. How many of you ever, ever bought a Hallmark card? Or a maybe a birthday, an anniversary, Valentine's Day, maybe for a spouse or a loved one. Why did you buy it? Maybe another question to go with that is what kind of card do we look for when shopping for a Hallmark card? Cheap one. Not me, brother. Not me. Speak speak for yourself. When I'm looking for my bride a card, money is no. What kind of card are we looking for? We're looking for the card that expresses for us our emotion, our affection, our terms of endearment that we can't come up with on our own, right? And that's what the Psalms do. They do the very same thing. The Hebrews, they call the book of Psalms praises, and that's what many of them are. They're praises to the king of kings. The book of Psalms was written from 1410 B.C. all the way up to about 450 B.C. So it spanned over a long period of time. Over the time of Moses to the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. There are at least seven different authors. King David, he penned 75 of them. So half of those are written by David. The sons of Korah. Wrote 10, Asaph 12, Solomon, Moses, Heman, and Ethan wrote at least one. So there's 48 psalms that are best listed as anonymous. Athanasius, he was a church leader in the 4th century. He said the psalms have a unique place in the Bible because most of the scriptures speak to us. God's message to men. While the psalms oftentimes speak for us, they're directed to to God. They give us examples of how to respond to him. Jeff Krantz says they're still inspired by God, but they feel incredibly human. It's true, isn't it? That's why if I took a poll today, what's your favorite book of the Bible? Most of you, many of you, the majority of you would say the Psalms and the Proverbs. They're incredibly human. And, and this type of literature in the Bible is wisdom literature. It's poetry. And it appeals to the emotion. Images are key. The writers express themselves by painting pictures. Paul, we just finished 1 Corinthians. Paul, on the other hand, appeals to logic. The Psalms, they don't set out to present logical arguments per se. But they read there, they paint a picture of life and a person's interaction with, with the, the Lord of heaven. And they're useful today. In fact, if you ask Jenny, she would tell you she spends the majority of her time, it seems, in the Psalms. I ask her, what are you reading? Oh, I'm in the Psalms. What are you reading? I'm in the Psalms. She loves the Psalms. And the songs we sang this morning, many of them we chose because they are from the Psalms. And we'll continue to do that over the next couple of months. And Paul thought the Psalms were helpful. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. He says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in what? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Jesus quoted the Psalms more than any other book. And in fact, after Isaiah, Psalms is the most frequently quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. And Jesus, what was his thought on the Psalms? He indicated that the Psalms spoke of him. Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And there are many types of Psalms. We're going to be looking at examples of different types of Psalms throughout the next couple of months. There are laments, both individual and corporate. There are praise psalms, psalms that are hymns, psalms of ascent, thanksgiving psalms. There are royal psalms, which highlight a specific event in the life of a king. There are wisdom psalms, which Psalm 1 is one of. There's imprecatory psalms, and we're going to look over the next several months over several examples of those. And we do that so you will know better how to study the Bible. That's why we're doing what we're doing today, right? It's not just a teaching moment. We can sit under the authority of the Word of God, but it's also an opportunity for you to understand how to better study the Bible for yourself. Most of the Psalms have a heading. The heading includes the author, maybe the historical background, oftentimes musical terms that we'll be looking at over the next few months. But Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 do not. We'll look at Psalm 1 today. Next Sunday, we'll look at Psalm 2. And there are five divisions in the book of Psalms. There are five books, if you will. And we have these separated because after each book, there is a distinctive doxology. As a matter of fact, turn in your Bibles, flip over, hold there to Psalm 1, and look over to chapter 41, or Psalm 41, rather. We wouldn't say chapter. I just made a faux pas there. You don't say chapters. You say psalm. And we don't say Psalms 1. We say Psalm 1. That's how we correctly refer to um, the Psalms. Psalm 41, you'll see most of you in your Bible at the beginning of Psalm 42, it'll say book 2, and I look at verse 13. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen. And we see that after every book of the Psalms. So there's distinction between books. And so we're going to look and have an exposition of Psalm 1 today, and we kind of title this thing, The Unwavering Tree versus The Windblown Chaff. And this first psalm, there's a comparison going on between the righteous and the wicked. Well, who are the righteous? Are you righteous? Taylor, are you righteous? Miss Cindy, are you righteous? Steve, are you righteous? Well, according to Paul in Romans 3, who are righteous? None, right? Some of you, two of our small group, uh, Chris and Brent, their small group, they finished Romans, or I think Brent's still in Romans. Chris has finished Romans, but we, we know in, from Romans chapter 3 that none are righteous. Jew nor Gentile, you nor me, we're not righteous. What I mean by that is we are sinful because of our sin, because of our rebellion against the Lord, because we're not like the Lord in every way. We don't have his righteousness. We lack it. We are without righteousness. We are needy people, right? 
But Psalm 14, flip there if you would. Psalm 14. We're going to stop our flipping here in just a second. In Psalm 14, you notice the first four verses here sound really familiar. They'll sound like Romans chapter 3. Psalm 14, let's look at a few verses here. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on their children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. And he'll say, there are none. Verse 3, they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? Brent, you recognize that? That's Psalm 3, right? Yeah, Paul is quoting many of, many of these verses in Psalm 3. And so what Paul is saying is there's no one righteous. But notice verse 5 of Psalm 14. There they are in great terror. For God is with the generation of the righteous. God is with the generation of the righteous. So he's saying there are none righteous. In Romans 3, that's Paul's point. There are none righteous. We're sinful. We are not righteous. We are lacking. But yet, he says God is with the generation of the righteous. In fact, Romans chapter 3, verse 18, Paul, he says there is no fear of God before their eyes, speaking of human beings in general. So who are the righteous? As we're talking in Psalm 1, he's comparing the righteous person and the wicked person. Well, we have to understand that before we can move forward. We're not righteous because we're sinful. But God is merciful. And there are some of us here in this room, many of us here in this room, we do have a fear of the Lord. We do trust the Lord. In the Old Testament, they were looking forward to a Redeemer for the Messiah to come and make a final atonement for sin. We, on the backside of the cross, we look back to Jesus for redemption, trusting what Christ has done on the cross. The work he did on the cross was our own. And so we're righteous. That doesn't mean that we're sinless. It means that we're trusting the Lord for our righteousness. We fear the Lord. So I want to clear that up. Because some of you, you may be thinking, well, I, I thought none are righteous. No, not one. Well, that, that is true. But because the mercy of God, positionally, we are in Christ. We are, those of us who have trusted the Lord, we are righteousness. We have the righteousness of Christ. And not because of any merit of our own. There's nothing we've done to earn it, right? It is God's free gift. So I want to clear that up. And let's turn back to Psalm 1 now. We'll jump right in. There are those in this day and time who did fear the Lord. They did trust the Lord, and they are the ones who are considered righteous. So let's look, three things here out there in your, in your worship guide, three things I'll point out about this psalm. Number one, just notice the, the righteous man's inclination. What is the righteous man's heart inclined to? What, is he li- what does he like? What is he drawn to? The person who fears the Lord, who trusts the Lord, what is he drawn to? What is he inclined to like? Blessed is the man who 
walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. As righteous followers of the Lord, we are to be in the world and not of it. We understand that, don't we? There's to be a distinction between those in the world and those in the, in the church. God-fearers should have distinct characteristics that set them apart. The righteous person is to be separate, and the separation is detailed in three ways. There's a distancing oneself from the wicked, from the sinner, and from the scoffer. Look at what it says. He walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Now, who are the wicked? The wicked are those who don't take God and the things of God seriously. They listen to the worldly truths that denies the sufficiency of Scripture for dealing with problems of the soul, and we all have problems, don't we? Well, the Bible claims to be adequate to equip the believer for every good work. That's what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But the wicked says, the Bible can't help me with my problems and most likely can't help you with yours either. The wicked disregard the truth of Scripture by implying that the Bible is insufficient to help them with their difficulties. Eve, she walked in the counsel of the wicked, didn't she, in the Garden of Eden? But the righteous reject the counsel of the wicked. An example for me, I think of Jeremiah, the prophet. Jeremiah continued to proclaim the word of God, the message God had for him to deliver to the Israelites amidst threats on his life. Jeremiah. He didn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Also, it says a righteous man doesn't stand in the way of sinners. Who is a sinner? A sinner is one who looks to temporal pleasures, one who seeks his own will at all costs. Well, as believers, those who have trusted Christ, work on the cross as our own, followers of Jesus, we, we don't participate in sinful behavior. We've decided that living for ourselves is not worth it. There's no hope in it. If you're a, a former sinner, you've had godly sorrow over that lifestyle. The lifestyle that's self-absorbed, self-consumed. You've experienced godly sorrow and you've repented of that type of lifestyle. An example in the Bible would be Joseph when he fled Potiphar's wife. He didn't stand in the way of sinners. Now we know the scriptures tell us not to be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. We've seen that in our study in 1 Corinthians. But we can't avoid the loss, the worldly, the sinner altogether, can we? No, Paul says if we wanted to do that, we'd have to leave this world, and that's not God's desire for us. But a righteous man desires to be an influencer, not to be influenced, to avoid the way of the sinner, those who live for temporal pleasures. You remember that, don't you? Because many of us were like that. I know for me, I, I live for shame. 
doing what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. I was Lord of my life. And that's the way I liked it until the Lord, the power of the gospel, opened my eyes and ears, regenerated my heart. He gave me new life. And now I see things differently. A righteous man doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. What is a scoffer? And I thought about that this week as I studied and prepared. I, I thought of those who know more than God. You know people like that? You try to give them good counsel. Maybe it's a coworker at work who's making bad decisions. Maybe it's a family member making really bad choices. They know more than God. I thought of the, those who mocked Jesus while he was on the cross. Mocking Jesus, they're scoffers. Yeah. I think of Job's wife. She was a scoffer, wasn't she? What did she tell Job? Just curse God and die. Right. Yeah, the righteous man, his inclination is to avoid the wicked, the sinner, the scoffer. The righteous person doesn't feel at home with this crowd. So my question for you today is, do you feel comfortable living life with, walking hand in hand with the the wicked, the sinner, the scoffer? Kind of an example I was thinking about this week. I'll share with you, Brent and I, we had a... uh, a brother younger in the Lord than us, and he was um, he was training. He's he does a lot of jujitsu and martial arts, taekwondo, those kind of things. And he was training, and he was doing this MMA fighting. Miss Lou, do you know what that is? No. Uh, it's it's where they it's like boxing without gloves, and you can kick people, and then when they fall, you don't have to stop. You can like keep kicking them and hitting them. Um, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know. You're not interested in that. I'm not either. But um, this brother, he was doing this, and we were, were trying to encourage the brother in the Lord, and we were discouraging that activity, really. And, but he was having this, he was training, he was having this bout, and we thought, well, okay, we're going to go one time, uh, and we're going to support. I don't know whose idea. Was it your idea or my idea? I don't remember. But we went together, Brent and I, and we, we go down there to this MMA fight, and... Um, you know, it was kind of nightclubish. For those of you who know what a nightclub atmosphere is like, it was kind of nightclubish, and um, there was music, and it was just profanity-filled music. And then, in between, they were having the matches. In between the matches, you had these scandally clad women, you know, holding up, telling you which round it was. And and then they, then then and then you had the on top of that, you had the fighting, right, where they're just beating each other's, trying to beat each other's heads in and stuff. And Brent and I, we're just kind of looking at each other, and we're just like going, you know, are we just like old? Have we just like grown out of this? You know, and we thought about that, and, and, and we probably were to the older folks in the room. But I think it was just this, it was just so just a bad environment between the, the girl, what the girls, 
I would say what the girls were wearing, but what the girls wasn't wearing, right? The profanity, the violence. We're just like, man. And so our, our buddy, he, he had his match, and then we just, man, as soon as he was done, we're like, okay, can we leave? And we just left. You know what? I think that's, why, why was that such an uncomfortable place to be? We just didn't fit in. It just didn't fit in. It was not appealing at all. So we just got out of there. Get out of here. Go take a bath and get away from it all, right? Yeah, there's just, we just, we don't belong there, right? That feeling, I think those feelings were right. We just didn't belong there. What about you? Where are you? How do you feel as you're in the world surrounded by Wicked people and sinners and scoffers. Do we feel at home? Look at verse 2. The righteous person doesn't feel at home in, in that environment. There's something wrong. We just can't get comfortable there. And I think that's right. Look at verse 2. But the righteous person doesn't feel at home there. Verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. The righteous, what do they do? They delight in the law of the Lord. They don't feel comfortable in this world of wickedness and sinners and scoffers. People who oppose the Lord, living for themselves in rebellion. But they delight in the law of the Lord. The Apostle John, he tells us, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, his commandments are not burdensome. David, in Psalm 19, 11, tells us, in keeping of them... Talking about the law, there is great reward. What does it mean to delight in the law of the Lord? The law of God, His Word. What about when you are courting? Some of you may be in that season of life now. Hunter. And... uh, (laughs) Oh, I get to embarrass y'all today. That's awesome. This is going to be fun. No, I'm just kidding. But, but you remember when you're, you're in that, that courtship phase of life? Kind of reminisce. Some of you, it's a few years. Some of you, but just think about it. And think about you wanting to spend time with this significant other because she's so beautiful and he's so attractive and he's so wonderful to you. What do you do? You do whatever you've got to do to make time for it because you delight in her. You delight in him. She's so beautiful, so you rearrange your schedule to make sure you have time to spend with her. Right? Hunter? Yeah, okay. Nothing interferes with your time with the object of your delight. The time that you want to spend, nothing interferes with that time because that's what you delight in. Delight, it means knowing something will benefit you and wanting to expose yourself to that benefit time and time and time and time again. You get that? Delight, knowing something will benefit you and wanting to expose yourself to that delight over and over and over. The righteous person, he delights in the law of the Lord. Are we delighting in the law of God? Do we delight in his word? Is it benefit us and we want to expose ourselves to it 
over and over and over. It says he meditates day and night on the word. Now, this is a psalm. This is hyperbole. Does that mean that he thinks nothing but the word? I, I don't think so. This is hyperbole. He's making a point. But it's something he does often. It's a routine in his life. It's something that a characteristic of who he is and how he spends his time. Meditation is to reading what digestion is to eating. I think about meditation. I think about a cow chewing its cud. What's a cow do? A cow takes in grass. Right? Chewing it, chewing it. What do they do? They swallow it. Eddie, this is going to make sense to you in a second. Eddie's looking at me like, what in the world are you talking about? You swallow the grass, right? It goes down into one of the stomachs, and then what happens a little while later? It comes back up, and what's the cow do? Chews on it some more. Chews on it some more. And that's the picture there of meditation. You're chewing the cud, right? Just pondering it, thinking on it, working it over in your mind. What do you think? Good illustration, Eddie? You like that? Yeah, yeah, well, now, see, it's, it's more alive, see? Helps. Chewing its cud, meditating. You delight in the law of God. You delight in the Word. You delight in the Word of God, and you just meditate on it. You're just thinking about it all the time. A righteous person, that's how he spends his time. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not comfortable with the, the wicked. And that doesn't mean you don't live around the wicked, does it? Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Yeah, we live, I have neighbors who are sinners and scoffers. And we have them in our home, and we love them, and we care for them, right? We have sinners and scoffers coming to our church all the time, and we welcome everybody. Come. We want to love on these people. But as you're at work dealing with the problems of wicked people, being exposed to wicked people, it's wearisome, and you don't feel at home. Chris, you don't feel at home doing your job. You're dealing with problems all the time. And sin, and the effects of sin, it's like, ah, oh, man, I don't, I hate that. A righteous person doesn't feel home there, but they delight in the Word of God, and they meditate on it. It's something they think about a lot. Second thing, look at verse 3 and 4. Notice the righteous man's, look how productive he is. The imagery here. This is figurative language, right? This psalmist, he likens the righteous person to a tree. And that tree is, what does it say? It's planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he does what? He prospers. He's productive. There's this tree, and he's got all this water, and it's just green. That's amazing. All the, the rain we have, I was noticing lately, by now, usually it's brown, right? But all the... Rain, like, man, everything's just so green. It's, there's life in it. There's life. They take in water, they produce fruit in season. There's benefit, there's production taking place. But then the chaff, he likens the, the wicked to chaff. And what's chaff? What is chaff? It's the the kernel, it's the outside part of a, a, a fruit, if you will, like wheat or rice. It has a chaff, and it has to be taken off before it can be eaten, processed. But what is it? What is it good for? You take the chaff off, and what do you do with it? Nothing. 
Nothing. If you get a dump truck load full of it, all you will have is a problem on your hands. You can't pay someone to take it off your hands. There's, there's nothing. It's not alive. It's not good for anything. He likens the wicked to chaff. And this, whatever the righteous person does, he prospers. That's a summary statement. And this is the prosperity gospel, right? Not that God wants you to be happy, healthy, and wealthy, but God wants you to do what? Seek him in his word. You'll be rich towards God. Not that you have all the money to do what you want, but you'll have all that you need to do what he wants you to do. And this work that you do as you seek in the Lord is, has eternal significance. You're productive, making a difference for eternity's sake. It's long-lasting. Verse 5 and 6, notice the righteous man's, he's protected. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We read the scriptures, and we know that in the end, God's going to judge the wicked. But sometimes we see the wicked with a man. There's a, there's a lot good going on there. Their life is really easy. You know, people who... They're scoffers, they're sinners, they're wicked, they, they're appalled at the things of God, but yet their life is just so easy. It seems to be so good at times. They have life by the tail, so to speak. But the wicked, those who disregard the word of God, the sinner who, who lives like they want to, the scoffer who knows more than God, will be judged. Notice verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. To be known by the Lord means he girds you, he protects you, he accompanies you, he knows you through and through. But the wicked, right, the self-absorbed, what does he say about them? Away from me, you evildoer, for I never, what, knew you. John, he says it in Revelation, kind of sums this up, chapter 20, verse 11 through 14. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were what? Judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. There's the consummation of all things. There's going to be a judgment, this great white throne room judgment, and the wicked will perish. They'll receive the wrath of God that they deserve. The righteous, they have an inclination for the things of God, the word of God. The result being that the righteous are productive followers of Jesus. They're prospering in God's economy by being spiritually fruitful. And on top of that, the icing on the cake is they are protected because their sin debt has been paid. Sentence has been passed and judgment for their sin has been carried out as Jesus bore their punishment. And so I ask, is that true of you? As we look just at 
How do we apply this psalm to our lives? Is that true of you? Are you righteous, delighting in the word of God? Or are you at home in the midst of sinners and scoffers and wicked people? It's, it's interesting, this is the first psalm, and you try to make some sense out of the order of things and how God, on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has put the Psalter together, and this is the first psalm, and you've got this, you know, you've got a fork in the road. You've got the righteous going in one direction and the wicked going in another. Are you at home with the wicked? Is it okay with you? And if you're righteous, there, there's come a point in time in your life, for me it was when I was 17, I, it came to a point where I realized that, that all that the world had to offer, all that the world was promising was not much. There's no hope in it. And if you're righteous, you've come to that place in your life where the, the Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit has opened your spiritual eyes to see your depravity and to see that you will be judged, and you know what? You deserve it. For many in this room, we've seen it. God has opened our eyes, opened our ears. We understand, I'm depraved. I deserve your worst. God is gracious. He granted us, he brought godly sorrow, granted us faith and repentance, and we're trusted, we've trusted Christ. But there may be some here, just by way of application, and you're, you're just at home in the world. You're at home with the sinner, and you've never yet seen your sin the way God sees it. You haven't seen that you're guilty before the Lord and that one day you'll be judged. You, you don't understand that that's right and good because you're a, you're a rebellious person. You've rebelled against the Lord. But maybe today, as you've heard this, if we sing these true songs and you've heard this message in the gospel, maybe you, for the first time, you're saying, man, I'm, I'm at home in the world, and that's, not, that's a scary place to be because, yeah, God is going to judge me, and that is right and good because I'm a sinner, and I'm in rebellion against the one who's given me all good things. And if that's you, and you, you for the first time, maybe there's a, a horror in your heart, like it was in mine back in 1990. I recognize I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be judged for all eternity for my rebellion against the Lord. Maybe you've had that experience this morning. If that's true, I want to tell you that's the bad news, but the good news is that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, came and he took on flesh, and he obeyed the law of God in your place. He died not because he was guilty of anything, not because he deserved it, but because he's the son of God who's going to make atonement for sinners. And Jesus died on a cross, and he was punished, and he suffered, and he died, and the wrath of the Father was poured out upon him, and he paid for my sin debt. He was buried, and he rose from the grave on the third day, and that that part of the story is the good part because because of what Christ done for, for sinners, sinners can repent and can receive the grace of God. 
And instead of being at enmity and being opposed to God, you can be adopted into his family and be called his child. And so application for you, if you're at home in the world and you're a, a wicked person, a sinner and a scoffer, application for you is today you need to repent and you need to trust Christ's work on the cross as your own. And if you're not sure all the ins and outs of that, if there's confusion there, my name is, is on the worship guide, my number's there, I'm at, I'm at church Monday through Thursday and a lot of other times. I would love to talk to you about that. But it, it might look something like this. It might look something like you're, you just talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm, I'm in rebellion against you and I'm going to go to hell and you're going to pour out your wrath upon me because that's what I deserve because I've been in rebellion against you. I've been living life for myself, doing what I want to do when I want to do it. You hate that and today I hate that too. And I recognize that Jesus died on the cross and he rose on the third day so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be not separated from you any longer, but I could be in relationship with you. I could be reconciled to you and I could be called your child. And I want to do that today. I want to turn from my sin and I want to trust Jesus' work on the cross as my own. I know that Jesus died. I know that he was buried and he rose on the third day, but he, I know he did that for me. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. Help me, Father. I want to know you. I want to follow you all my days. Something like that. So application for the sinner, the lost person, is to repent and believe. And then what about the church? What about those of us who have repented and believed? What is the application for us today? John Calvin, he began his classic Institutes of the Christian Religion with this statement. I want to read it to you. Nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. Well, these psalms we're going to be studying is going to take us deeper in both of these aspects of wisdom. So as a church, by way of application, let us ask God to teach us about himself and about ourselves as we study the psalms over the next few months. So that would be an application for us. Secondly, Psalm 119, verse 97, the psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And, and I tell people this all the time on Wednesday night. If you haven't been on Wednesday night, man, you're missing church. Seven to eight, we're in the Family Life Center upstairs. We have Bible study, prayer time. It's just been real, real sweet. But I, I tell the folks there all the time, when I'm in a, in a rut in my Bible study time, sometimes I'll just take a break and do something different. And more times than not, what I'll do is I'll read through Psalm 119 over and over and over for about a week. And this psalmist says, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Verse 72 says, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of, of gold and silver pieces. Verse 103 says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And you read that sometimes as believers. This, we're talking about application here. How are we going to apply Psalm 1? And we read this in the Psalms and we think, I know, I know I should delight in the word of God and I should meditate on it all the time. It should be a part of my life. But I read these Psalms and that didn't sound, that's not me all the time. Yeah, I go through periods where I'm just loving and eating it up, can't get enough. And then I go through times where, man, it's like work. 
And then you read the psalmist here, and you're thinking, man, it's convicting, isn't it? Is it? It is to me. Man, is this the Word of God, is it sweet like honey? But it's interesting, in the, earlier in the psalm, verse 27, the psalmist says, Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Help me understand your, your word, Lord. Help me understand it. You ever pray that? You should. Verse 36. Because we're reading this stuff, and he's like, I just love your word. I'm eating it up. Your word is better than life itself. But then we see the psalmist. What does he say in verse 36? Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. So, yeah, we should delight in the word. We should meditate on it day and night. But you know what we have to do? We have to ask the Lord, Lord, help me delight in your word. Help me meditate on it day and night. If right now, and you're, you're saying, man, just studying the scriptures, it's just not like sweet like honey to me right now. Understand it. Been there and done that. I'm there often. So what do we do? Church, let's ask the Lord, give us a desire for your word. Incline my heart. Give me understanding of it when I read it. Help it come alive to me. That's application, I think, number two for the church. Let's ask the Lord to help us love his word and study his word. And, and lastly, and we'll close. I think we need to meditate often on the end. Being the end, end of what? Well, he talks about the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But you know what? If you're a believer, you've been sentenced, the judgment has been carried out. Yeah, we stand before the Lord. Yeah, judgment seat of Christ. We have to give account for the things we've done. But you know what, Rick? That judgment has been dealt with if you're a believer. And isn't that awesome? It's been paid. My debt has been paid, and I am free. And yeah, this life is hard. We go through trials and struggles and why are you doing this, Lord? Why is so-and-so sick? Why is this happening? Why, why isn't this happening? Yeah, we all, we're all there. But boy, one day, it's all going to be made right, and it's all going to be good. That's the promise we have if you're righteous. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.